Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper. And I'm Matt Taibbi. How are you doing, Katie? Good, you? I'm good. I'm keeping it up. I'm 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 as ignorant this week as I was last week. Oh, great. Our viewers are going to be so glad to hear that. I know. I know. I, I, I like basically just found out that we're Cuba's erupting or we're, we're invading or something. But th th that's not going to stop me from having opinions on it. Like I know something about right. it. So Right. I mean, with Cuba, it's fairly easy. You know, U.S. denies role in problems, pretends like it's all the Cuban government fails to mention that there's an embargo, which is especially relevant right now. Well, you'll weigh in on this later. I will. That's right. Yes, that's that's because that's my segment, actually. Oh, um, it is. Yeah. Wait, yeah. I did not know that. I, okay, did. Awesome. I, I barely knew that myself. So, um, and I just want to apologize, everyone. I'm having some tech issues. So you're going to see there's a kind of Blair Witch almost quality to, to my setup. My new, usual good camera isn't working. Um, it's kind of cool. It's, it's almost like you're giving off some kind of weird energy that's affecting everybody's vision, like you person, yeah. personally, not your camera. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's a je ne sais quoi. I, it is better than it was. Okay, it is better than I predict it will be in our future interview with our two guests, Kevin Gostola, journalist Kevin Gostola, uh, Shadowproof, and the um, Unauthorized Disclosure podcast, as well as Gabriel Shipton, uh, the brother of uh, Julian Assange. How do you like that? That, oh, uh, that was segue. That was good, right? Yeah. So it's not that we already taped that interview, because of course we do everything in, in no, order. No, it's sequentially, yeah. Sequentially, right. So, but I'm getting the sense that maybe, just maybe, part of that interview will be worse in terms of the video quality than now because I'll have forgotten this trick that I realized, which is that you you turn off the touch up my thing and zoom. Anyway, a lot of fourth wall stuff here, guys. Right. Yeah, wall. exactly. Like, who knows what will happen, but that that's one of the possibilities. Right. Yeah. yeah. You want to bet some money on it? Obviously, I'm betting that it will happen. <laughs> You're betting <laughs> that it will happen. I'll take a parlay. Maybe we can do like, a, uh, you know, some kind of some kind of, you know, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, oh, this is good. This is this week in Matt at rapidly aging. Yeah, this R. is this is this is Matt waking up at three thirty eight in the morning today. For what? So, to prep uh, for the Cuba segment. Uh, yes, that among other things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fire okay? alarm, dog. Yeah, no. Mm -hmm. Did the dog set off the fire alarm? Just lots of stuff. Okay. Actually, none. Not one of them involved a, a child this morning. But yeah, I know I got up early in the morning. Had trouble wow. getting back to sleep so anyway I got up um, early for me in the morning which is like seven <laughs> that's that's extremely early for you yeah 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 but we had to for well just in case maybe you, you had to do an interview of some kind right so now we're really okay. pushing the sequential thing it's like not only yeah, are we yeah, going to yeah. do an interview after but we're going to book the person right before this segment who knows who it could be right yeah exactly no. exactly so uh we're, we're going to try to do something that we we almost never do uh, on the show, which is interview somebody as we're doing the the, the four food groups. Yeah. So we're going to start adding beefing up the, the concept yeah, so a little a bit. Programming. So we might as well just get to it. Um, yeah, we might as well get to it. So Dems suck. Republicans suck. You isn't know, that weird? Isn't that weird, terrible? Isn't that terrible. Yeah. So let's start with Dems suck. Uh, there's a lot to do, and I actually feel bad that I'm focusing on this because there are really important stories, but I think we'll be able to thread the needle with some of them. I don't think this is an unimportant story. You know what? You're right. It's a funny story. And people go after us for focusing, ever focusing on the Bidens. Because you know what? This is a hashtag, but Trump segment or hashtag, but Trump, but but Trump's kids. So 
there's a, a corruption story um, or I, you know what, why call it a corruption story? Let's just call it an artistic entrepreneurial story, which is that uh, Hunter Biden is, uh, did you know this, Matt, that he's actually an artist? I, I, I did know that, yeah. Okay, I yeah. didn't know that until very, very recently. So, oh, I didn't uh, know that until recently, no. Right, yeah. okay, got it, yeah. So they're going on sale and uh, at, a, at a, a New York City gallery and this is causing a bit of an ethics stir. Um, and the way <laughs> well, that they're actually, yeah. okay, go ahead, yes. Or it isn't. Is, is that yeah, the issue that's, that's kind not? of the problem, yeah. Well, the New York Post considers it an ethical problem, but not just that, actually. Obama's person, Schaub, was also critical of it. Obama's own ethics person. And uh, the reason people are critical of it is they think it's, you know, kind of a conflict of interest, I guess, for the Biden. He's making a lot of I mean, to me, it's very on brand. This is just Hunter Biden's going to Hunter Biden. But I guess people are upset about it. I mean, yeah. this is even even for Hunter Biden. This this is pretty. This is this is this is bad. This is like, you know, smearing your feces on the wall and selling it for a million dollars, you know, oh, I mean, which is a good way for us to fundraise for for uh, useful idiots, by the way. Right. Who? Right. Oh, I could. That literally happened, by the way. I think I did. I tell you this on camera? No. Or not? Uh, this little. No, I told you when we were prepping for the show. That happened to me with Bodhi. We'll have to cut this in. I was streaming on my birthday, by the way. Oh, happy birthday! When was Thank your birthday? You. Sorry. Seven Eleven. Wow. A good one, right? Yeah. So I was I was streaming and I smelled something and I kept looking down at my feet. Oh, you told me this. Yes, you're. Yeah, you're, I did. But mm -hmm. I didn't tell the show viewers this. So right. speaking of this, I could shit. So what happened? No, no pun intended. Bodie was on my lap and I smelled something. I didn't know what it was. And I looked down finally and there was a little poop schmear on my dress. <laughs> poop schmear. Yeah. Have you gotten your poop schmear? I have not your, gotten uh, my poop schmear yet. Yeah, no. You got to do that. But uh, I should have saved that and, and taken a photo of it. Mm -hmm. And then it would have been like a real piece of art. Yeah, just put a frame around it. Yes. And sell it for four hundred thirty-five thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah. 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 So, um, but but you know, in addition to the New York Post, what's interesting about this is that people like um, Schaub, Walter Schaub, who was the head of the Office of Government Ethics in the Obama administration, uh, has said that this arrangement, quote has nothing in common with a blind trust, except that the White House is asking the public to blindly trust some art dealer and a bunch of unknown art buyers to keep the government ethical and to honor their secrets. So, oh, and friend of show, former guest of show, Felix Salmon mm -hmm. said, uh, there are 7 billion people on the planet. It is, is it hypothetically possible that one or two of them may be interested in paying that much for one of uh, these paintings? Sure, but it's unlikely. Right. And, you know, as, as Xiao pointed out, the White House made the, made things infinitely worse by getting involved in the situation. They 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 called the gallery and essentially mediated these terms that created where they papered over the sort of patina of an ethical arrangement whereby the uh, buyers could remain anonymous. And theoretically, there would be no one would know who was buying what. But that's it's absurd. There's no prohibition on the buyer telling, you know, the Bidens or or the government or anybody that they bought the painting. And as you know, as he pointed out, the, the instant the White House got involved, uh, that just made it essentially White House business. I mean, it, it, it it's no longer just a, a private citizen selling his art. It's now it's now an official issue. It's weird because 
I'm almost happy that he's doing it. You know, he needs, as he told the New York Times, it's really helpful for his mental health. And we know that Hunter struggles with a lot of addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, apparently painting is what keeps him sane and keeps him away from doing things. So, like, I'm glad for Hunter he's doing it. What do you think he should have done? Should he have been anonymous? That's what he should have done, right? Well, if you, no if, one if, them. if we were really serious about, hey, I just want to be an artist and, and you know, I want to I want to make a career in this. Uh, yeah, he would have named himself named himself. Um, I don't know. Bunter Hyden. Yeah, Bunter Hyden. You know, Lorenzo Doubtfire. I don't know what it is, right. but and then he he would have, you know, sold his paintings, and of course they would have sold for nothing. Like you would have right. couldn't give them away on the street probably. And but here he's using his name. It's in the press, and they've already set the prices at seventy five thousand to five hundred thousand dollars, which is preposterous for a first time artist. I mean, he's never right. sold a painting before. So they're, they, you know, it, the whole thing's ridiculous. It's, it, we've, we've seen versions of this in other countries, like in a third world country. I remember there was a thing in Russia called the, the author scandal where a bunch of Yeltsin people got book deals where they didn't have to write books basically and got massive advances that they never, for right. things they never wrote, just similar to that. Joining us to discuss Hunter Biden's art curator, Nina Felshin. Hi, Nina. Hi, Matt. Hi, Nina. Hi. You know, this is really exciting. This is a historic moment. We have our own, you know, sometimes we weigh in on things. I would say every week we weigh on things that we have no idea what we're talking about. But uh, this is a time when we're actually asking an expert to weigh in on something, which is kind of exciting. Right, Matt? Absolutely. So Absolutely. we're welcoming uh, Nina Felshin. Um, yes, Nina Fel- Felshin, um, a contemporary art uh, curator. She was also a Biennale, Paris Biennale commissioner, which sounds very, very exciting, um, very impressive. Uh, she edited But Is It Art? The Spirit of Art as Activism. And she is an independent curator now, was a curator at uh, the Contemporary Art Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, and the Corcoran Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. And she also was a curator at Wesleyan University's Ezra and Cecil Zilka Gallery, oh. uh, and where she taught co-taught a, class, a cross-discipline course on issues in contemporary art. She's contributed to a lot of books. We'll get into that later. But you know what, Matt? You probably think, right? You probably think, oh wow, this is a conflict of interest. Katie's kind of acting like Hunter Biden, bringing on someone from from Wesleyan, Wesleyan? University I was where say, she graduated. Yeah. But it goes much deeper. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is it, is it a, is it even more? Mother, mother, high school friend, uh, went to high school, uh, music and art, then music and art now LaGuardia with my mother. Wow. Wow. I don't think that's an ethical violation. It's not an ethical violation, right? Yeah. 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 So, so, so is it art? I guess that's the question, right? I guess that we we should be asking. Everyone brace yourself. We're about to, to see some of these wonderful, wonderful images. Nina, can I ask uh, uh, quickly first, what's standard for a, a sort of a first-time artist doing a first show in, in, in terms of what they might get for a painting or what they might ask? Well, I think that um, I'm not sure that there's such a thing as a standard, but the very fact that he's having a first show and he has no exhibition history at all, no uh, really no track record as an artist, that is itself is very unusual. Um, but the prices that they're 
suggesting like I think $75,000 and made for work on paper and 500,000. That all I can say is totally insane. Um, it, you know, those are, those are prices that have nothing to do with reality, but in many ways, art basically has become a commodity and, and what is being sold with Hunter Biden is not just the art, but his name, his connections. Uh, and he's, he, very wealthy collectors who don't necessarily care about the art itself collect names. Um, and I, I might add, I was I, um, back in the 80s, there's an artist by the name of Louise Lawler who did a, a work, um, kind of conceptual work called Bird Call. And it was a list of male artists who were quite well known. And the idea was to bring attention to the fact that very often people are not necessarily looking at the contents of a work of art, but buying a name. And so, mm. you know, Hunter Biden's name, although I am, I would be mortified at what his, what his affiliations are and, you know, what he has done as his background, a lot of people are impressed. You know, it's, Power. It represents power, even if it's corruption as well. But, you know, there's a lot of corruption in the art world. I mean, he seems to be attracted to um, like a magnet to corruption. <laughs> so, right. Right. Just as quickly, would it be unusual, though? I mean, what you're, what you're saying about people buying a name, let's just say that any sort of random celebrity X, um, you know, Michael Jordan or uh, Miley Cyrus, anybody like that just decided to do a painting you know, George W. Bush, for that matter, right? The, he, he retired and he's no longer in service, but he, he paints. What, how much, is there a uh, sort of a record of what those kinds of works have, have fetched in the past? Well, I'll tell As like you, a curiosity? I, right. Um, I did look at, um, I don't know, it wasn't a website for um, George W. Bush, but I did see some prices um, and they were, and this goes back a number of years, but they were, you know, like $5,000. Wow. Um, I mean, they were- Steal compared they to They were Biden. a steal. And I, you know, to be honest, I mean, I'm, I am the least, I'm not a fan of George W. Bush. Katie, Katie knows that well. They're not um, bad, I thought. <laughs> but I actually think, even though it's interesting because the the reviews of his shows were so politicized that people were not really even, I think, considering the art. But I I think he, you know, I think he's he's sincere. I think he, you know, I haven't seen recent work, but he, I don't think he did this to be famous for his art or to be commodified by the art world for a second. So I have to grant him that. And um, I don't think that's the case with Hunter Biden. If only he'd done that instead of entering politics. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been, would have been a much better place. Yeah. So what do we have, Katie? Go ahead. So, oh, so here's the, so if we could just look, um, Matt um, Wilson, if we could take a look at the uh, exhibit. So, this is an interesting photo of uh, Hunter Biden just at at you know doing his his work, doing the work. This is his creating his opus. This is a really interesting image of Hunter Biden. Uh, I'm not sure what's happening here. I should probably describe this. Looks for, like he's inhaling. Listeners. Yeah, it looks like he's inhaling. It has a kind of combination my left foot energy, but also drugs. But, like I first right. thought that was a joke. Yeah. I thought it was like a meme where he was inhaling or it has like a, a cocaine sniffing, but through the mouth thing, I guess that's not how it's done. What do you, what, what, what do you guys see there? 
And this is not art. This is, well, well, I don't know. Is it art? But this is just the documentation of his process. I don't know. Is that a thing? Do people paint with their mouths? I, I, it's not like a Christy well, Brown he, type of thing? or He looks like he's blowing something onto the paper. Yeah. But, um, and maybe he's, he, you know, he has a lot of experience um, probably inhaling and blowing and that sort yeah. of thing. So yeah. Yeah. he's turning exactly. it into a, a, an art technique. That's yeah. my tale. Oh, that's Nia's tale, yeah. Um, <laughs> So this is my favorite. This is called um, Untitled. It's Untitled. A lot of his stuff is Untitled. But this is um, very common in the art world. First of all, how would you describe this? This is him. It's a self-portrait kind of thing. He's like filled in with bright colors. It has a kind of Dali, one of his beach things energy. But if you if you look, uh, I don't even know. There's a red sun. There's like a mountain in the background. But what's really interesting about this, and it's called Untitled Number One 2020. It's mixed media on paper, and it's 48 inches by 32 inches. But what's really interesting about this is if you scroll down, uh, Wilson, there's in that red those red things on the side. There's actual text. So don't scroll down so we can read it yet. I just want to see if people can even can you see what it says. All around him, beautiful things. Oh, I, I, it's, it's hard to read, right? Yeah, but this appears in another work of his also because he not only is he a visual artist, but he's a right. poet also. Right, and, um, and it's I in his book. It's, it's in his book too, yeah. 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 So if you scroll um, down, we can actually reveal what's said. All around him, beautiful things, tangled colors, cradled mercy, made real, rose up, and he began again to write a new story. It's got that good talking about yourself in the third person kind of a thing oh, going yeah, that is good. I, very, I like yeah. that. It's yeah. very this, humanizing. The other thing that strikes me is the, there's so much red, and it seems almost like splattered blood in a certain <laughs> way, whether it's metaphor or not. And, right. you know, is this a reference to the car crashes or, you know, some unconscious reference to that? Right. Um, Interesting. But it yeah. shows up. And in fact, there's another painting where you see arms. That oh, yeah. Like that's the next one. If we could yeah, scroll down, okay. please, to, uh, uh, right, this one. This is yeah. called uh, Untitled 2 2020 Mixed Media on Paper, 31.5 by 40, uh, inches by 48. There's yeah, text this in is, the background there, too, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what does that text say? That I yeah. can't even get into. I, those pre that's pretty hard to read, actually. <gasps> oh, is that a photo of him in the in one of the arms? I wish it looks like his face is in one of them. I think he actually uses photo collage as Kinda one cool. of his techniques. I mean, uh, to be honest, you see a lot of work in galleries these days that looks a little bit like this. You know, it's not it's not that he's. Um, totally incompetent by any right. means. It's just that, but you know, it's so it's, it's just, I know so many artists who, if they don't have museum exhibitions on their resume or in their CVs or don't have gallery exhibitions, they won't be given, you know, a, a second with a dealer. It's just, you know, there's something very, 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 very wrong about this situation, but <laughs> not atypical in the art right. world, you know, um, so, um, you know, it brings attention to the dealer, which means right. that right. Um, other artists that this dealer represents will be looked at. Um, he'll get a lot of attention in the press, no doubt. Yeah. So it's a, you know, it's a whole package of things. I mean, basically he's packaging Hunter Biden. Yeah. You know, it's also interesting that in the reviews I've read, there's very little about, you know, they bring up something about, um, you know, some kind of, 
controversies over over Biden, you know, things he's done in the past, but no detail. And yet when people wrote about George Bush, there was lots of detail. And so I think it's also it's interesting to me. And I'm you know that I'm far from being a a Republican, um, how the press handles Democrats versus Republicans, you know, liberal press, that is, or mainstream media. Yeah, this one looks kind of like a like a an axion, like a nerve cell or something like that. Yeah. Or a virus. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> so that would represent uh, the Biden his COVID policy. Yeah. His failure to really. Right. You know, oh, maybe it represents telling everyone to go back to school. This could be about broken window policies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's the crime bill. Yeah. Hunter is is finally, you know, this is called St. Thomas. St. Thomas. Yeah. Saint Thomas is that his down? DNA? Oh, that's interesting. Is it his DNA? You know, you know, if Hunter, Hunter, we know you're watching. I'm sure if he's watching, it'll be hilarious. He's probably just like, I was just high off my ass. Decided. Oh, yeah, to I, I, I was not going to say anything, but I had that thought. But, Would you want this behind your head as you were eating dinner? Like if you were, if, if this was like behind, something on it. Actually, I'd much rather have it weight. behind my head than. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. funny. You'd be, if you if you went to someone's house, would you be like, "Do you mind if I sit on this side?" Yeah, kind so of like we switched around. St. Thomas, yeah, more mind. of it. Here Very we go. Good. And this has a what Breck? What who? Um, Miro kind of energy, um, or or like sort of a little Miro, a little Kandinsky ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, neither, neither really, but right. you know. Uh, I mean, I I would say that I don't see, and again, this is not necessarily a criticism because art doesn't have to be innovative. You know, it's not like there's something unique about this work. It feels pretty familiar to me from other stuff I've seen. And I'm not, you know, I'm not suggesting he's ripping people off, but it's not, you know, maybe he'll develop. The lower Um, one is kind of like Kandinsky meets small intestine a little bit, (laughs) right? Absolutely. Uh, oh yeah, it is. Yeah, Kandi- it's kinda... we could call that Kandinsky, Kandinsky intestine. Can 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 Kandintestin. Kandintestin. Yeah. So the one on the left here looks like egg on mask, doesn't it? The one on the left, my God, or it looks like you know, like um, sort of levitating egg yolks. Yeah, exactly. I would keep that in a studio if I were him. Yeah, it, it, he's cooking in a zero gravity environment. Yeah, right. Cracks and it just it just kind of, I like it. The other one I is, like it. is is a you carpet, don't like it, right? You're saying you'd keep it in the studio? I I keep a lot of these in the studio, right. but you know, I'm being that's me, and I'm right. I'm, I'm extremely yeah. um, what shall we say? I'm not I'm not very tolerant. Um, Discerning. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is, I think another phenomenon in the contemporary art world is that um, a lot of younger artists, I'm not saying he's one of them, don't really don't really bother learning the history of art. And so often you see things that look like things you've seen 30 years ago. And I mean, I I think that, you know, that um, there that there always are legacies, but I think um, it's so certain. A lot of things don't impress me because they seem very familiar and not particularly uh, creative, uniquely creative. Yeah. Which is weird for a lifelong artist. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then the thing on the right, 
looks like now and laters or something. Yeah. It looks like um, jelly be it looks like, you know, what it looks like it looks like a girly phone case, iPhone protector. You know, the other thing he says at some point is that he's not so interested in expressing emotions or feelings because they're fleeting. Well, of course they are, but that that's not a reason not to. Um, a strange thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. But so that what does he want to express? Universal, um, universal truths. Oh, that's what he's um, expressing. Um, it's actually sort of frowned on now because what's what what is the notion of universal for the whole world? You know, unless we get start getting religious or something. I don't paint from emotion or feeling, which I think are both very ephemeral. For me, painting is much more about kind of trying to bring forth what is, I think, the universal truth. That seems like denial to me, quite honestly. And there's probably emotional denial. I don't know. I feel that that that's sort of could be behind it. It's also totally pretentious. Okay, this really sounds like high talk. Uh, the universal truth is that everything is connected and that there's something that goes far beyond what is our five senses that, that connects us all. The thing that really fascinates me is the connection between the macro and the micro and how these patterns repeat themselves over and over. No, I mean, actually, I'm, I'm, I, I got to admit, I, I was expecting it to be a little worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think for me, the big issue is um, the, the sort of the context and oh. the pricing and how yeah. absurd that is and, um, you know, what it takes to what it means to to attach prices i mean one of those small works on paper is i think seventy five thousand dollars right but people are taking him serious you know this aspect of it seriously because i think it's just become the way people see the art world you know they've kind of accepted it in a way which i would kind of get minus the political context like if it were just yeah. if it were just some random celebrity um selling their art as a curio yeah. uh it would be it would be a little easier to to swallow i think nina thank you so much for coming oh, on we really really pleasure. appreciate it yeah, yeah. Okay. we'll, we'll have to check in with you again yeah okay. you'll be our you're our correspondent our art yeah. thank you bye guys <laughs> bye bye All right, let's let's. Uh, I guess we should just yeah. we should do because it's not fair to leave the Republicans out. Right. Yeah. Right. No. So, so we I'm going to do two really quick ones because uh, this one's entitled uh, "Governor uh, Vows to Arrest Democrats Who Fled Texas to Block Voting Restrictions." These are always fun stories about legislative bodies where there's arguments over the various sides are trying to prevent each other from getting a quorum so that they can keep each other from passing laws that they don't like. Uh, in this one, it's Texas. First of all. I love the picture with all the, the hats. So great. I know. It, it's, it's fantastic. It's like an right? onion headline photo. Right? Like that's how you'd imagine a Texas government, Texas gov lawmakers to, to look. It's almost photoshopped. like they hand them out to, at the door. Yeah, right. Right? Uh, so the uh, the lead goes on, uh, Texas's Republican Governor Greg Abbott has vowed to arrest Democrat lawmakers who have fled the state in an attempt to stop an overhaul of election laws that they say damages the right to vote, especially for communities of color. Private planes carrying more than 50 Democrats left Austin for Washington, D.C. on Monday, skipping town just days before the Texas House of Representatives was expected to give early approval to sweeping new voting restrictions in a special legislative session. Uh, the move denied Republican-led legislature a quorum, leaving with too few lawmakers in attendance to conduct 
business, that means it could not, at least for now, vote on the bill. I can't, I, I know I've seen stories like this before. I can't remember exactly where they've been, but I think when the executive goes, goes to the level of threatening to arrest people for avoiding a quorum, that's, that, that probably crosses, crosses the line, I would think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's very Texan. It's wild, tough. Like, wild Southwest. Right. This is this is uh, Bush slash LBJ country slash Rick Perry. Remember that when people thought he was going to be president for like yeah. eight seconds. Also, remember, we talked about this. Did we talk about this with a guest or just a, between, amongst ourselves when um, he was pushing the the HPV vaccine? Gard, Gard, Gardasil, is that the name of it? Mm -hmm. um, which is just so funny because it's so not anything he would ever be interested in, like science. Right. Uh, but he had some share in the in right the company. of course yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's good stuff yeah um as but but he got called out you know who called him out was, who was uh, that again michelle backman because she she shared that oh she right met someone whose daughter had become thereafter re retarded thereafter she told me that her little daughter took that uh took that vaccine that injection and she suffered from mental retardation thereafter <laughs> the retarded thereafter. That was another one of our t-shirt ideas. So that happened. And then I, I guess just so that we can get to this issue quickly, Matt, can we hear um, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez talking about what he thinks should be done about the protests in Cuba? This is a good one. And what should be being contemplated right now is a coalition a potential military action in Cuba, similar to what has happened in both administrations, in both Republican and Democrat administrations. In Republican with Bush in Panama, they deposed Noriega, and that country had peaceful democracy for decades. And you had interventions by by Democratic presidents, uh, you know, taking out Osama bin Laden in Pakistan. It's a, a sovereign country where they took out a, a, a terrorist that probably saved thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives, and President Clinton in Kosovo intervening in a humanitarian issue uh, with airstrikes. So there have been many, many opportunities uh, in the uh, history of- Are you of, suggesting airstrikes in Cuba? What I'm suggesting is that that option is one that has to be explored mm -hmm. and cannot be uh, just simply discarded as, as an option that is not on the table. Um, and, and there's a variety of ways the military can do it, but that's uh, that's something that needs to be discussed and needs to be looked at as a potential option in addition to a variety of other options uh, that can be discussed. Yeah. We've never tried that before. I mean, all those things went so well. Kosovo, uh, Noriega, uh, Noriega Panama. Panama, that was great. I'm kind of upset he didn't bring up, um, you know, how we saved Grenada. Iraq, uh, Vietnam, Iraq, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Indonesia, um, you know, go back to manifest destiny. Like, why didn't he cite some of our better, you know, more glorious uh, interventions? Like which, Ch which ones? Like, I don't know. Um, well, they're the over I guess he was focusing on overt, not covert. Guatemala is always a good one. Chile right. also not overt. Um, I mean, I'm talking like Philippines, Jer Jer Puerto well, Rico. I think they cut Philippines. Those are those are my peeps. They they, they kind of got massacred in that one, didn't they? Yeah. So I mean, why not bring that up though? Apparently, right. body count doesn't seem to be a deterrent to him. I wonder right. if this guy has family in Cuba. Probably, They're going to get airstricken. He'll be able to call and tell them where to stand. There are. I I worked on this documentary years ago called Free to Fly by this documentary filmmaker Stella Bravo, and it was about travel restrictions between you know United States and Cuba, and we went to this thing called Domino Park. I believe it, it's it is a domino park. I don't remember if that's what it's called in Miami. And there were all these 
like she couldn't show up because she's known and she's you know reviled by these people she's actually from new york city her name is estella siegel we went there we were interviewing them and there was a guy who said that like he was super right wing he was praising franco for saving spain from communism praising pinochet for saving uh chile from communism and then he was saying how he goes back to visit his daughter and it was like you could hear a pin drop for a second and then everyone started yelling at him because he's like a traitor for visiting his daughter like you gotta you can't go back to that country or else you're letting castro win i mean it's just, i it's mean the people same. have yeah they have very strong yeah. feelings about that yeah, stuff yeah 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 so but again if you really cared i mean this is look no one cares about the people sorry i'm generalizing a lot of the people who are if you're i'm going to say you're calling for an airstrike this may not be about saving the lives of cubans this right. may not be humanitarian grounds probably doesn't take into consideration the our track record of success with that that sort of thing um i know yeah we, we, we don't have an extraordinary record of not fucking those things up right right so. yeah exactly so even if i had his politics which i don't like you probably it's gonna you know the bay of pigs was that was bay of pigs now they're calling it bay of tweets by the way all these people who are like astro like this these obviously like coordinated uh super amplified astroturf uh tweets about cuba one mm. of one of which gets is getting so much love and it's an image of cuba saying no or you know cuba speaks out and it's but it's video footage of buenos aires it doesn't even look like it has a big obelisk like it doesn't even look like it's yeah that's really funny yeah excellent so. the bay of tweets mm -hmm. i like that i'm just curious to see how what 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 biden is going to do it's it's so funny if this were an election year we'd probably already have boots in the ground in in cuba think, yeah miami-dade county is so important in presidential politics you know the american foreign policy has been kind of skewed violently for decades because of that factor uh it's been it's been interesting to see that biden is kind of he hasn't gone full-blown you know let's go in yeah but that's but he, he that was before the mayor of miami spoke maybe the mayor right. of miami is going to really convince right him. no one's calling on the embargo to be shut down i don't want to hear anything you have to say until that happens guys in case mm -hmm. right-wing uh cubans are wondering what katie helper has to say about their plans there's a contingent of maga people who are who are now kind of bailing on the idea of invading incidentally which is interesting yeah, i wonder why isolationist thing i i think oh yeah you know but you're saying like even the ones who we'd really expect to right? right but i haven't seen like the the sort of hardcore neolibs openly, openly trumpeting yeah change. not yet right yeah but I, what i will say is that you know what liberals could do but of course they're not going to is um you know call for the end of and a blockade the blockade oh well they won't do that though and they're also not they're only showing the the anti-government protests but there are a lot of pro-government protests also mm. well what do we have for isn't that weird for isn't that weird we have a kind of it's half isn't that weird half isn't that awesome um so wilson could we just show this article so mount dora man shot down sheriff's office drone harassing him sheriff's office says uh, a 50-year-old Mount Dora man is accused of shooting down and damaging a drone belonging to the Lake County Sheriff's Office as it was flying near his property early Sunday. He shot it down. It was a drone. Uh, he shot it down because he, quote, thought it was trying to harass him, according to the affidavit. He uh, 
reportedly uh, fired at the drone twice, shooting mm. it out of the air and causing it to fall on a nearby structure and catch fire. They, I guess, deployed this drone because of a uh, burglary. They were investigating a burglary. Mm. So it was like 6.30 a.m. and they deployed a drone to search a nearby lot. And they heard the two shots fired, watched the drone fall. They put out the fire. They called the fire department. They put it out. And Coney, uh, Goni had used a, a 22 caliber rifle to shoot at the drone twice before going back inside with the gun after he saw it go down. He faces, charge, uh, faces charges of shooting into a vessel or vehicle, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, improper exhibition of a firearm, and criminal mischief over $1,000. Records show Goni's felony conviction history includes aggravated assault of a law enforcement officer in 2013. Okay, that's not uh, good. Wait, 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 was this on his property? I'm, I'm confused. Well, it was near his property, they say. Do we, do we want America to be a country where you can't shoot things in, that are in the air? I mean, I kind of feel like the drone is asking for it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, it's weird for me to find myself on the, on this guy's side, but I feel like it's, you know, I'm anti-drone. I'm anti-drone dogs. I'm an, I mean, I'm anti all that stuff. I don't like fake dogs, you know, dog robots. Right. Well, also, why do you have to drone a lot? Can't you just I, go there? I guess they were looking for. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't like the idea of police drones yeah, at all. Also, imminent domain, right? Yeah, that's what they'd have to claim to be on this property. You can't just go on someone's property and. Well, that's that. The imminent. That, that, that's all when right, you forget seize, that That's when you seize property to build. Right, but they're drone seizing it. Oh, right. Look, yeah. we live in a new era. We got to expand the definition. Right. But right. I'm anti that. So you know what? Let's cut that out so we don't give the authorities any ideas. I, I'm, I'm with you, though. I Yeah. I don't, I don't like I mean, this. I'd like some kind of, you know, what I would love would be like nonviolent conflict resolution between a man and a drone. But I don't know how <laughs> you can do that. I actually it? like the idea of shooting the drone. I, I like I the idea. I do too. I got you it. Know? But it could have killed, the problem is it could have killed someone but when it caused a fire. Well, okay, that's that's true. But maybe that's why that's, drones that's, need to think twice before droning. That's picking nits, I think, you know? Yeah. But he shot at it with a twenty-two, right? Yeah, what does that you know, mean? It's, a, it's like a I mean, like small caliber gun. rifle. I mean, if, if you had done it with a shotgun, it probably would have exploded. That would have been excessive force. Really, I think that would have been better. It probably would have been safer for everybody. Like if, oh, if there's, if, if right, there's a I drone over here, right? Like if you if you shoot it and it just completely oh right, evaporates. it's funny how, right because drones are not human beings, so the, it's actually more dangerous to not destroy them as as much, right? As opposed, to, yeah. Well, do you see the photo? Can we just see yeah. the photo of the the? And I feel bad for the drone. Also, it's not his uh, fault. Really? It's not the the drone is just the it's the people behind the drone. I guess so. It was a bad drone, though. I mean, like, I mean, this is the whole this is really we're getting into really interesting ethical. Uh, actually, you know, we have to have a, a friend of my another friend of Katie Halper's family. This really this this ethicist, a bioethicist should come on to talk about the the artificial uh, like cloning. He's against cloning. It's just in that whole genre of what are we doing today? That, that right. we can have a segment called what are we doing today? Right. Artificial intelligence. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I was like, there's a lot of like tea party energy. Get off my lawn. You, But like get off my lawn is different from get off my lawn, you drone. Or get get, get off the airspace over my head, you drone. Right. Yeah. I mean, get off my proverbial lawn. Get right. off my my the the space. Of, well, again, my. that's yeah, I, I'm much more about that. Get off my 
my lawn space. I think if you, if, okay, maybe if you didn't use a gun, maybe if there was like another, like a slingshot or, a light yeah, if you, if you, if you can, if you can knock a drone out of a, out of the sky with something other than a gun, you should be able to beat it to death. Yeah, that, I think that, right. Well, that, that definitely, if the drone had come close to him, I think he, it would, it's, I mean, it's Florida. So obviously they have the, stand um, your ground, yeah. stand your ground, this yeah. is stand your air. Yeah. Um, a cannonball? What about a cannon? A cannon would be good. Like a kendo sword. <laughs> you just throw. Oh, I'm talking about when it's still in the air, though. Oh, when it's still in the air. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. You could yeah. throw a sword up, I guess. You could. Yeah. I'm just thinking as it gets closer. Closer and closer. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, this is going to become a don't tread on my airspace. Yeah. Don't overfly on me, on me or. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like the what the way he went back into the house though. Right. Well, that's an Amer that's what an American does. Hang on, you know, like you put click pause. Right. On the, oh yeah, uh, I wonder what he was watching. Right. So that's good. I'm I'm all I'm I'm anti that guy getting arrested. Yeah, we're we've... gonna free let, let's free him. Let's free let's, him. Let's, we should crowd crowdsource his bail or whatever. Bail. Let's see how much it is. It's sixteen thousand five hundred dollar bond. I don't think our could we ask useful idiots. I think that's a lot of money to ask them to post for this guy. Yeah. You know what? Instead, give it to the, um, the Substack. Oh. Give it to the Substack, and we will raise awareness about this. What even more than we already are. Right. We'll talk. You know what? Let's have. Oh my God. I'm not, I'm not. You know who we're supposed to have on the show? Who we still have to have on? Who? The penis sculpture guy. Oh, right. Yes. So yeah. we got to get in touch with him. And then we should get Goni on and ask him what he was thinking and feeling and fearing at the time. We got to humanize right. him. I could compare notes. Yeah. Yeah, they could. Yeah. Both persecuted. That's a good story. I like that one. Yeah. Although I don't like the way it ended. But. No, that's that should have been or isn't that I mean it's isn't that awesome until the until the punishment, at which point it's isn't that terrible. Right. I thought right. the weird the flying drone thing was weird. That was the weird part, but yeah. Yeah, I mean how, how how common is that? How often are drones right outside our windows? Like I know. I what if we don't even know? What if they're like right. invisible drones, like Invisalign drones? Right. I'm just going to do, isn't that terrible? Really quickly. This is because you know what? This, this It happens a lot with this segment. When you go looking for terrible stories, you, you find them and they're, it's not actually all that funny. Matt, can we open the uh, seabirds one? Yes. And first check out what the, what the suggested ads for my Google Chrome now are. Pipe hitters. Pipe hitters union. union. Yeah. Women. Yeah. All right. That was a throwback to who was it? Who said? Oh, Pompeo. Uh, Pompeo right. Yeah, yeah. Pompeo. Oh, All right. No. Headline: A disgusting, horrible mess. Seabirds' plight prompts balloon release ban. When marine scientist Jennifer Lavers undertakes fieldwork on Lord Howe Island, she's surrounded by white sand beaches and uh, subtropical mountain ranges in a biodiversity haven she describes as the Galapagos of Australia. This pristine setting stands in stark contrast to the plastic refuse, sometimes numbering hundreds of pieces that Dr. Lavers finds in the regurgitated stomach contents of the two species of shearwaters she studies. The contents include a brightly colored, sticky, chewing gum-like substance, the result of balloons interacting with digestive enzymes in the bird's intestines to form an amorphous glob. By the way, what are the chances that we say intestines twice in the, in the same show? Yeah. Right. Very weird. Yeah. 
Um, as soon as you touch it, it's six to everything, says Dr. Labor, who is a lecturer at the uh, University of Tasmania. It's not rubber breaking down, but rather transforming into a disgusting, horrible mess that it's almost impossible for birds uh, to dislodge. So I think in the internet age, every day we find out about another thing we have to like remove from our lives. Recently, I read a, you know, about a certain rock star who turned out to be an abusive monster and his private life, private life. Now I can't listen to that person's music anymore, right? Yeah, you know, I, I felt like that with when I realized the politics that Lenny Riefenstahl had. <laughs> I just can't enjoy a Triumph of the Will or anything anymore. <laughs> that's known. right yeah if, you, if, if only if only you could have separated that out right yeah. but then, now it's like you know you can't use balloons i mean balloons I don't know. Are, are balloons are causing part of your life yeah well, they actually are i have kids, kids. But balloons are a fairly constant part of the parenting experience yeah Bodie, kids I, I, love balloons Bodie, i guess bo, bo, dogs don't so that's different i don't know for my dog parenting Do you, is, um, is Bodie one of those dogs that like gets freaked out by balloons I don't know because well it's one of those things we don't really know because we don't have human children mm. uh so we don't really have them around I'll have to do an experiment although my I don't dog really want my, my dog is terrified of balloons really you see she can actually see them uh out the window of a car like if there's if you're going past a yard sale or something right. like that, that's one, you know, oh, yeah. she'll start Bodie, growling. She gets very upset. Bodie barks so much. It would be very hard when we're Bodie barks at motorcycles and trucks. So it'd be very hard for us to isolate whether it's a, but we could try it. I could find it. I could just throw, instead of driving past a, a yard sale, tax sale, I could just get a balloon, get a balloon out. Yeah. But now right. I'd now have you're going to be killing a bird. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, how many things are there like that? It kind of reminds me of like people who chew their own hair and eat their bubble gum, mm. swallow their bubble gum, and then they get these big things, but they tend not to die. You? Oh, yeah. Have you not heard? Have you not heard about that? You're not supposed mm. to do. I mean, I I would argue that both of those things are ill-advised, but apparently the real dangerous combo is doing one. So pick your battles, pick your vices. Either just chew your hair or just chew your, swallow your bubble gum. Right. Right. But that's terrible. I mean, it's like, I mean, balloons do seem innocent compared to like, you know, plastic things that go on six packs. Those you kind of right. know by now that those are lethal. Right. Yeah. What do we Well, do it was in things? that penguin movie, right? Yeah. Happy feet. Six pack thing gets stuck around a penguin's neck. I think it might be Robin Williams's was actually. Hmm. All right. So that was the four food groups. Yeah. Uh, we have a really important show for you today. Gabriel Shipton, who is the brother of Julian Assange, and Kevin Gastola, who is a journalist. You can find him at Shadowproof, and he also is the co-host of the podcast Unauthorized Disclosure. You can find Gabriel Shipton at on Twitter at Gabriel Shipton, and you can find Kevin Gastola, wait for it, it's not the easiest name, on Twitter at K-G-O-S-Z-T-O-L-A. He's the managing editor of Shadowproof.com co-host of the Unauthorized Disclosure podcast and also host of Dissenter Weekly. Sounds great. Well, let's talk to them both. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Just wanted to start with you, uh, Gabriel, and could you tell us how you learned of the court's decision, how you also learned about the, um, 
Icelandic hackers confession. Just can, can you update us about what the latest news is, but also tell us how you learned of them personally? Um, well, uh, so the appeal, uh, the, so the Icelandic uh, sort of, you know, um, the, there was an article in Stunden, which is an Icelandic publication about one of the uh, key witnesses in the prosecution's case, uh, a witness called Tordeson. Um, and the article was about how he had recanted his uh, testimony or his um, accusations against uh, Julian and had provided uh, chat logs to prove, you know, that his recanted um, statements, you know, his, his accusations were, were, you know, provably false. I was, well, I think I was in the state, I was in the US, I was in the States at the time uh, when we learned about that, me and my father were uh, you know, on doing a sort of old school grassroots uh, campaign across the US. Uh, we did over 20 events uh, across the country and, and, it, and it was sort of uh, towards, towards the end of our tour. So it was, you know, we, we built up all this momentum and then suddenly this, this uh, huge news came out, well, you know, <laughs> you came out in Iceland, really, uh, you know, we, what we, we, we considered huge news in the case because it feeds into uh, the computer intrusion, the conspiracy to commit computer intrusion charge of the, of the indictment against uh, Julian. So this is, a, this is the charge that sort of underpins uh you know the framing of the whole indictment as julian who is someone who who isn't a journalist uh who who um you know uses hacking and other things to get information so uh that part of the charge you know with with this recanting of the testimony of the accusations sort of is is unraveling essentially um and it was huge news when we were when we were in the us but no one was covering it, you know, like there was, there was no media covering it. it. It was just us talking in front of people and, and, and getting on as many shows as we could to, to try and, to try and bring this up. Um, so it, it was sort of, you know, what we expected to be huge news, uh, you know, the mainstream media and the legacy media uh, just didn't report on it. So it was, it was a bit weird in, in that way. It was a complete whiff, right? There wasn't anybody who covered the story basically in the United States that I saw no, that's right. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just us going on this show. Like, you know, we went on Mehdi Hassan's show and, you know, just trying to bring it up, trying to talk about it. And we on Fox trying to bring it up, trying to talk about it. Like it was just, it was just basically us, you know, Julian's family talking about it. Um, and, and the mainstream media, you know, no one actually did any reporting on it at that, at that time. Can, can you elaborate a little bit about how, how the recantation of this testimony speaks to that particular aspect of the case, uh, just to remind people what the actual charge is. Um, th this is the portion of the, of, the, of the indictment that sort of implies that he was helping uh, try to, to crack a hash. Is that the idea? Yes, yeah, yeah. So he alleged, you know, it alleges that, uh, that um, you know, uh, Manning asked him to crack a password hash uh, right. in, a, in a chat. Um, and, you know, there, it, that's the allegation and there's actually no proof that the hash was ever ever cracked or what the hash was even for um you know so so it's this it's so weak this this allegation or this this part of the uh part of the indictment that they had to use um you know they had to look for people like uh this tortison guy who was totally compromised like he's a um you know he has a he's a 
convicted fraudster. Uh, he has convicted sexual misconduct charges uh, in Iceland. Um, so they had to minors, find people. Right? Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they had to find people like him, offer him immunity, offer him, uh, you know, m- you know, actual cash to uh, come up with these, you know, these statements to bolster this this weak uh, part of the indictment. Uh, so you know they're just they're just unraveling. It's just like I was, you know, it's just another one of these dominoes that uh, just keep falling in Julian's case. You know, from the arbitrary detention decision in 2015, um, you know, to the UC Global, uh, you know, spying on his lawyers' meetings, on his uh, doctors' meetings, keep, uh, stealing his children's nappies, papers. You know, the UN, uh, the. Um, Nils Melser, who was the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, found that Julian's been psychologically tortured. You know, he's won his extradition case in January, and this is just another one of those dominoes that they just keep falling as this case just gets weaker and weaker and exposes the people who are who are actually pursuing it. He was he was the the person that allegedly Julian turned to to help him with coming up with the with cracking the hash right that that was that was part of the theory of the conspiracy to 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 do the computer the intrusion is that the Fred idea Tortison? yeah no not a, not at all Tortison Tortison is isn't even a um you know he's not a computer hacker or or any sort of computer program in fact he has like it's demonstrated in this article that his computer skills uh are really really bad like he had to um you know ask people to help help um, he asked the DOJ, how do I upload a video to the internet? This is this guy, Tortison. So right. He, he's it's like, how do I are... log into my computer? What's my password? Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely absurd. So, no, I mean, he was just there to sort of create this narrative that, um, you know, Julian uh, was is somebody who, you know, goes and asks people to hack when it's just total fabrication. Gotcha. I mean, this is the confusion because there's no reporting on the third indictment that came down in June of 2020, people don't actually understand the ploy that was engaged in by the Justice Department, which was to graft on these allegations weeks before the extradition trial in September 2020, and to essentially hackify it to bolster their claims that Julian Assange is not a journalist, but is a hacker. And so they added all of these unfounded allegations. And this is the part of the Trump administration case that is new. You know, most of everything in the indictment up until June of 2020 was based on the work of the Obama Justice Department when when they, you know, did decide that they were not going to indict and bring forward criminal charges. But then they relied on Ziggy Thurdarson and did so even though uh, there are all there's all these corruption allegations around the way in which anything related to Iceland has been obtained by the Justice Department, including a minister himself kicking out the FBI because they came to the country under the pretense that they were going to help Iceland solve um, a cyber attack. And in the end, it turned out that they were there just to collect intelligence on WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. In the third indictment, what did they add? Because the, 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 the first indictment pertained to the to the uh, intrusion charge, right? And the second one was was all the, 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 the additional 17 counts that were more espionage act counts 
But what was in the third indictment? Yeah, so I think this is a really valuable thing to do for uh, viewers and listeners. The, the, the first iteration was the computer crime conspiracy charge, which was essentially to get the Justice Department uh, a, a way to convince people it was reasonable to charge and prosecute Julian Assange. They're going after him with a computer crime and not for anything related to journalism, allegedly. That's what the Justice Department prosecutors would tell you. So there were no Espionage Act charges and you get all these op-eds from people who think they are the smartest people in the world telling you that this is not going to jeopardize press freedom. And then you get the 17 charges under the Espionage Act. And then in June, because they know that this computer crime conspiracy allegation is tremendously weak, they graft on these hacking allegations. They don't issue any new charges. That's what's really confusing. But they really couldn't add charges at this phase because the extradition request was already locked in and being reviewed by the district court. So it seems very, it was very bizarre what they were doing. And in fact, the legal team for Julian objected immediately on the first day of the extradition trial, tried to get the judge, Judge Vanessa Baretzer, to quash all of these allegations because they did not have time to prepare witnesses to challenge the allegations. And in fact, the entire course of the extradition trial, there's no evidence that they were able to bring forward to challenge things. They weren't even able to contest and impeach a witness like Ziggy Todarsson. So all of this material that we're learning from Stunden, some of it actually we could have found a little bit about uh, if they had been able to contest this evidence during the extradition trial because he had spoken, he, he did speak to Wired Magazine before um, he did speak about his schemes that he had perpetrated against WikiLeaks. You know, we already knew he was guilty of embezzling around $50,000 in funds from the organization and impersonating and exaggerating the role that he played in WikiLeaks. Um, and then, you know, obviously the big news here is that now he's under some immunity deal from the FBI and is essentially uh, protected in Iceland. Do Jillian's lawyers have any hope of maybe trying to get the case tossed on the grounds that they're of misconduct, prosecutorial misconduct, given that essentially they're suborning testimony that they might have known was, you know, not to be true? Well, I guess that that'll, we'll have to see how that, um, you know, how that plays out in the future. But yeah, the Tadarsan's testimony, uh, Tadarsan's uh, accusations are, they, they form part of the judgment, uh, the UK judge's judgment from, uh, you know, early January. So, you know, these lies have made it into the judgment without actually being cross-examined uh, or anything. So the judges, you know, uh, put them in there. Um, so I'm sure that there's, I'm sure there will be, um, you know, some way to um, challenge these, challenges these in the court. Uh, currently the appeal that's been approved by the high court, it's appeal, it's, it's these, you know, a part, of, part of the appeal, the US TOJ appeal was rejected um, they found in, you know, in Julian's favour on two counts, but um, on the other, the other areas is where the US is um, giving assurances um, where, you know, Julian will not be placed in, uh, you know, the Col uh, Florence, Colorado Supermax prison. Uh, he won't be held under SAMS. Uh, they've given these assurances, but all these assurances have caveats, uh, have caveats in them. And, and it's basically the caveat is, well, the director of the CIA can decide whether um, Julian has information that 
uh, might be damaging to national security. And so then we can just decide to put him in SAMS. He doesn't actually have to go in front of a court or anything like that. And I, and I think the, uh, you know, in Julian's case, uh, it can just be expected that that, that will happen. Um, you know, if you go back and look at the history uh, of, of what he's suffered under over the last 11 years. So do you want to go over, so, so the, there are two parts, pieces of news, right? There's the Iceland news where there's a, a witness who, who's uh, recanting wood in a, in a world with any justice, right? Disqual like, disqualify the, the him and, and lead to- well, it, would, it would at least obviate that charge. Obviate that charge, yeah. That's, is that legal for, legalistic for disqualify the testimony or you're saying it would obviate that charge, but not necessarily the- other aspects of it. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that it would speak to the other 17 counts of the in yeah. indictment necessarily, but it may, I don't know. I mean, what, what, so the problem that we're running into is that Tadarsan's allegations don't form a significant basis for what the prosecution is bringing against Julian Assange. Right. So it's really difficult to say if you impeach him and discredit Tadarsan, then you can get rid of the computer crime charge, it's it's window dressing. It's a it's a very calculated, um, though desperate act by the Justice Department to try and salvage their case. And that's the kind of action we're going to see from the Justice Department going forward. Everything they do is a very desperate attempt to try and save this from totally falling apart. I mean, already we're in this phase with the Biden administration where Nobody who is an official in the administration is willing to defend the prosecution on its face. You cannot get a single Biden official to stand up and say that this is a legitimate prosecution against Julian Assange. Secretary of State Antony Blinken won't even answer a French journalist when he's asked about the case while um, he's engaged in his, you know, his, his diplomatic work. So. That's a, that's a key thing for, for people to know. And so these assurances that we're hearing about are totally absurd, if not improperly put forward, because what Gabriel was saying is, is really important. The, the, the assurance that he won't be put under special administrative measures, which are these conditions that the attorney general can authorize against the national security defendant, there's an exemption so they can say if he meets a certain test, then they don't have to exclude him from the SAMs, which is what you can be placed under immediately when you're brought to pretrial confinement. Uh, as far as ADX Florence, Colorado goes, it's not the only supermax prison in the United States. It's not the only maximum security prison in which you could have very harsh isolation or solitary confinement conditions imposed upon Julian Assange. Um, there's administrative segregation, as they like to call it. They, that's the word the Bureau of Prisons uses instead of solitary confinement that can be imposed against Julian Assange while he's at Alexandria Detention Center awaiting trial in the Eastern District of Virginia. And none of these assurances deal with the main thrust of the reason why District Court Judge Vanessa Baretzer rejected the extradition request, which is to say, that Julian Assange was diagnosed with a psychiatric condition that would lead it to be where it is almost impossible for him to control not taking his life if he was held in a US jail or prison. That was the conclusion. The conclusion by uh, at least two of the doctors that he saw 
for Professor Michael Kopelman and then Quentin Dealey. Both of them looked at him. One diagnosed him with Asperger's, which is one of the first times that we've had a diagnosis that uh, of that. But then they said that his psychiatric condition would lead to suicide. And so it would be oppressive for health reasons to extradite him to the United States. And none of these assurances deal with that key finding from the judge. This is the um, attempt, right? So, so they, the latest in terms of that trial, that um, those charges is that in terms of the extradition, right? Is that the, a lower court in England, in England said that he, he, Julian won his extradition case basically, right? Which is kind of another thing that's lost in the media, uh, just in terms of even the framing of it. And then the higher court is saying, no, they will hear the appeal from the United States, right, on the extradition. And as you guys are alluding to, it's based on a premise full of loopholes, right, or a promise, assurances full of loopholes, which is that he could easily be, if Sam, Sam's is considered torture, right, so he could easily be tortured. Um, they're, they're, they're promising, it's kind of, it's pretty pathetic, right, they're promising that, like, by default, he won't be put under Sam's. But that doesn't mean that they can't put him under Sam's if he does mm -hmm. something that they consider um, worthy of that. And similarly, as you just pointed out, he may not be in this particular facility, but he could be sent to another one. And of course, you know, you have the New York Times uh, headline saying U.S. promises not to imprison Julian and Assange under harsh conditions, which, again, not I guess it, it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, at least they're covering it at all, covering it at all. But they're totally accepting or like you know the the yeah, narrative right. the spin yeah, that's like, right it's like yeah, yeah. shocking it's like, yeah. what's the prosecution's case okay that's the headline i think that's yeah. what the new york times has done i mean it could um, easily but, be it could have been you know uh won't won't guarantee that he won't be uh subjected to harsh conditions instead of the serving as kind of like a pr thing. yeah 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 well, and i think another one was oh he can serve his sentence in australia like right. that was some that like that was a concession that's actually available to you know all Australian citizens, no matter you know who they are or or you know what they're charged with. They anybody can you know they can apply to have their sentence served in Australia once they're right. convicted. Right. Um, so it's 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 a sort of um, you know it's just P, it's just PR from the prosecutor's office that the New York Times has regurgitated as a headline. It's interesting, though, it's almost a confession that the U.S. prison system is so much worse than Australia's, right? Like, don't worry, we'll let him serve his sentence in another country where he won't probably be tortured as much as he would be in the United States. That's right. Yeah, I would point to a really key problem. But in all of this, the main thing is that none of these assurances were tested during the extradition trial. That's a, that's a point that Assange's legal team makes. This is improper for the Justice Department to come out and say now, after we've had the extradition trial in September, that they are going to offer these assurances is, is a complete abuse of the process because they were supposed to, if they thought this was going to be a problem for their case, which they clearly did not, they should have told the court back in September or before then that, okay, we would, we would be willing to hand over Assange to Australia, he can go back home, he could serve his sentence there if he's convicted, or we, we won't put him in special administrative measures. I mean, mind you, we've ha we had lots of evidence related to the prison conditions that Julian Assange would face during the extradition trial. And I, I followed this closely while covering and reporting on the trial. 
You had um, a former warden named Maureen Baird who took the stand. Um, you had a public defender from the Eastern District of Virginia take the stand. You had people who, uh, uh, you had one expert on prisons named Joel Sickler take the stand, all of them giving testimony about special administrative measures. And at no point did they say clearly, all right, we, we will make this assurance that he won't be placed in these conditions. And the same goes for a supermax prison. They made no assurances at all about the kind of facility that they would place Julian Assange in if he was in the United States under confinement. And so the fact is that at this stage in the, before the high court, you're supposed to hear about whether the judge, you know, every allegation in an appeal is about whether the judge was incorrect, made an error in the way she viewed evidence, made an error in the way she interpreted the law. There is no opportunity for you to call witnesses. You're not supposed to put new evidence on the record. So for them to come forward and say now that they are going to offer these assurances, it's, uh, it's very audacious on the part of the US government. But I mean, obviously it speaks to the way in which we think we can abuse just about any process and it fits in with a universe of evidence that we also heard during the extradition trial about how WikiLeaks exposed torture and war crimes on the part of the United States government. And in the past decade, we've seen how the United States will attack international legal bodies and go after the governments of countries who dare to investigate any allegations of torture. What are some of the conditions of special administrative measures and does it impact, would it theoretically impact things like the, the amount of time that you would have to wait before trial, like what what are some of the the things that they testified to about about Sam's uh, in the hearing? Yes, yeah, so one of the prosecutors named Claire Dobbin, it was actually kind of hilarious because she would call it the H unit, even though it's actually the H unit in the Supermax prison in Colorado. And I encourage people to go find this article from Westward, which is a, a really good uh, weekly newspaper in the Denver area, I believe. Uh, and they did this deep dive into this unit in the Supermax prison. And this came up during the hearing because um, one warden called it a clean version of hell. Um, other advocates have said, well, it's actually a filthy version of hell. I mean, there's been, you know, rodents and, and, and feces and, and, and really disgusting things that have been found in there. It used to be a place that they would house the most psychiatric and mentally ill people who were accused of violent crimes, uh, but there was a lawsuit and those people were removed from this H unit. Essentially, you know, if you're in there, you sink lower and lower into these layers of isolation. So if he wasn't in the H unit, let's say he's just in supermax and he's under these special administrative measures in the supermax. I mean, one key thing is that they could take away, they could take away his access to news. They can tell you that you don't get to follow international affairs or current events because they believe if you knew what was happening in the world around you, you could be a disruptive prisoner. So they can limit your access to the news. They can also keep you to maybe, you know, two 15 minute phone calls with your lawyers or family per month. Uh, the FBI is going to inspect every single piece of mail that you receive and or send out. This can also disrupt your ability to defend yourself. Um, this is not an abstract thing, by the way. We have an example right now of a case that has received even less attention, if that's possible, than Julian Assange's case, because the alleged Vault 7 leaker 
Josh Schulte is in a in Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York under Sam's conditions, just as Julian Assange could potentially be placed in. He's the one who's accused of releasing these CIA cyber warfare materials to WikiLeaks, um, but there's been no proof and his case ended in a mistrial. And yet he's held in these barbaric conditions and he's not able to respond to motions in his case. He's trying to defend himself. And because the FBI is preventing him from getting his mail, it's taking like 40 to 50 days for him to get legal mail. And so he can't actually participate in his defense. Like the government will respond to a motion that is filed on his behalf. And he's supposed to have the opportunity to reply. And he can't because he's not getting notice that the government has filed a motion in response to what he put forward. So he's under these horrific conditions. And that's just an example of what Julian could go through. I mean, he could be in a supermax prison. He could also be in something horrific called a communications management unit, which we've heard some about. Um, that didn't feature in the extradition trial, but I think it's certainly possible. Those are in Marion County, Illinois, and then Terre Haute, um, Indiana, have these two facilities where they put uh, people who are accused of terrorism offenses. But um, there's also been a big deal about how they'll put people who are accused of so-called environmental terrorism crimes to try to balance it out because it disproportionately targets Muslim people um, by placing them in these horrific facilities. But you get to restrict their access to the outside world and you get to sink them deeper and deeper into isolation and you don't have access to mental health. There is no way that Julian Assange in any of these facilities would get access to the kind of mental health treatment that he needs because you know prisons are not a substitute for medical care um, and they, they do not provide good medical care. That's widely acknowledged. And in fact, Judge Vanessa Baretzer, the last thing I'll say here is when she made her ruling, she acknowledged that there is a part of Belmarsh security prison right now in which he is going, Julian is going to get particularized care while he is under this confinement. So as horrific as it is in Belmarsh for him to still be there with violent criminals um, and, and not allowed to be free, even though he won his extradition case, he is still getting particular treatment that would not be available to him in the United States. That's nice that they're so intersectional and they include uh, <laughs> environmental uh, terrorists. So it's not just uh, Muslim people in there. Shout out to our criminal justice system for the rainbow. Kevin, when you were covering um, the extradition uh, hearing, were there any journalists from major American uh, news agencies there? I believe there was one or two journalists that joined from The Guardian. Uh, there was a BBC correspondent, although hilariously, and I ended up calling him out for this, uh, this BBC correspondent was asked uh, why he wasn't covering the extradition or why BBC wasn't doing more coverage of the extradition trial. And he said, and this was in the middle of the trial, this was a month long proceeding, by the way, just to refresh people's memory. And he said, it, the Assange thing is really just run its course, you know, and I think it'll come back around and be in the news again in the next week or so. But yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's come and gone and that's where it needs to be. And it was really absurd. I mean, every single day, there was some new important detail that people needed to understand about uh, the US government and its abuses and the corruption in this case. 
And I, you know, I think on one hand, I don't want to indict all media in the world. There's actually been a fair amount of journalists in and throughout Europe that have done journalism around this case. Like this guy in Iceland, Bjartmar Andersson, like the only person who is digging around and trying to figure out Iceland's role in this prosecution or what can I expose and what will it say about the way Assange is being prosecuted. Stefania Marizzi, who I know you've had on your show, Italian journalist, only journalist we know right now who is actually pursuing aggressive freedom of information cases in all the countries that are implicated in the Assange case and trying to obtain documents from security agencies about how Julian Assange and staff members of WikiLeaks were targeted by the governments in Ecuador, US, United Kingdom, and Sweden over the last decade. Uh, nobody else seems to be doing this. I don't see Guardian, I don't see The Telegraph or any other newspapers stepping up to show solidarity and help bolster her efforts to get these documents. Um, which we had a, a, like a half dozen or so people from around the world, more, uh, you know, I'd say there were like 12 or 20 journalists that I was seeing regularly for a month and some were in Australia, some were in Europe, uh, people like Matt Kennard at Declassified UK. Um, and uh, obviously Max Blumenthal has done some ex excellent work digging into the UC global spying allegations. Uh, El Pais in Spain has covered very closely what's going on. But as far as like the day-to-day -day of this case, as, as, as far as like the very dry mechanics of what's happening as this case develops, there are very, very few newspapers or media organizations that are helping people to understand how this case is unfolding. Everyone recognizes the implications, but I don't know how many people actually understand how we're going to get there. Like ultimately, if we do reach that nightmare scenario where Julian Assange is put on trial, I hope it doesn't happen, but if it does happen and he's put on trial and it ends up being that he's convicted and a hole is blown through the first amendment, I'm just not sure that people in the United States and around the world are gonna fully understand how the US got here because there's not a lot of coverage and particularly on the corruption that Gabriel and I could, could, could talk some more about um, because it is extraordinary, the, the extent to corruption that exists in this case. You mentioned the BBC, The Guardian though, but I'm, no New York Times, no Washington Post, no NBC, CBS, ABC, no, none of the American people he partnered with uh, you know, right. back in the day. I, mean, I, su I suppose it was too early for them, but I, I was waking up at 3.30 and 4 a.m. in the morning to tune into this case in London. Actually, there's no excuse for the New York Times or the Washington Yeah, Post. they've got people they can yeah. send yeah. over there. I think no, they, they, you know, they have airplanes. They slept like, through their alarm clocks, guys. Yeah. Pay a college intern to get right. up in the morning and, and tune into this and do the grunt work to collect information for your publication. Because of the COVID pandemic, it was so easy to cover the extradition trial. I didn't have to travel to London in order to follow this case. I was able to wake up from my home in Chicago and report on this. And that applies to every single newspaper that you had to expend a very limited number of resources to tune in and get a credential and follow this case. There is no excuse 
for the New York Times and the Washington Post to have not had people who were following. They just basically weren't interested. They were, what would they have been covering? They were more interested in the Trump-Biden tit for tat during the 2020 election than they were Julian Assange's case. Yeah, well, I think it's been, you know, they're almost, um, you know, over the, uh, watching, uh, watching these media organizations over the years, you know, through, through my brother's persecution, you can see how they, uh, you know, almost complicit in, in what's, in what's, what he's undergoing, um, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of the smearing, a lot of, you know, there was the Operation Pelican. So uh, this was covered by Matt Kennard. Um, operation Pelican was um, a UK operation uh, that, um, you know, was trying to get Ecuador to kick Julian out of the embassy. And so, uh, you know, they would fly Ecuadorian diplomats over the UK to butter them up. And this was all written about in a, in a book by one of the people involved and then covered by Matt Kennard from Declassified UK. And they had a problem. They said, well, Ecuador said, yeah, we, we could kick him out. We could withdraw his asylum, unlike unprecedented, withdraw his asylum, cancel his citizenship and eject him from the embassy. But he's too popular in Ecuador. Like, well, we'll have a backlash from the people, from our population. <laughs> And they said, okay, well, you know, how do we make uh, how do we make it seem like Julian, how do we reduce Julian Assange's popularity in Ecuador? Okay, we start saying, oh, he's a bad house guest. Uh, he doesn't feed his cat. Uh, he, you know, puts smears poo on the wall. You know, all these things feed into this, you know, how do we destroy the, his character? How do we reduce his reputation uh, and his popularity in Ecuador in order to uh, eject him? And it's the same with, you know, the, the Manafort, the, the famous fabricated right. Manafort story in The Guardian. How do, we, how do we create Julian as this person who assisted, uh, you know, Trump to get into the, into the White House? Okay, we plant this Manafort story. And then, you know, that just grows and grows. And then we see people like John Cusack, Katie, who uh, jumped on one of your tweets this week, um, you know, that sort of narrative has just sort of exploded and, and, and sort of makes it okay for liberals in the US um, to sort of close their eyes to this, you know, this attack on, on their freedoms. They're saying, well, you know, Julian, Julian helped Trump, so it's okay to establish this prosecution, uh, this, this sort of attack on the First Amendment because, you know, he helped Trump. So it's all these crazy liberals who, who are now sort of backing this prosecution, even though it's not about uh that issue john cusack then he seems to be of two minds because then he retweeted out a bunch of other things that were kind yeah, of he got ratioed he got <laughs> ratioed so bad yeah. and then he had to backpedal yeah. like i mean you know and he had to come up with all the I don't, yeah it's it's just yeah. unbelievable and, and this was in response to i when i interviewed we had Stella morris on this show and then i had her on recently on my show and i asked her this question about how do you you know respond to that the claims that Biden, uh, you know, Assange helped Trump. And basically she's like, well, it's very easy. You just point out that uh, all the people who are supporting the extradition case right now are siding with Trump over Obama, who decided, of course, not to pursue these. So that's yeah. that always just shocks me. Again, if like you're going to see the world through this Trump derangement lens, then at least be on brand. And, and you know, you'll, you're going to want to be siding with rule of law that Obama allegedly uh, was implementing that was undone by Trump, but yeah. instead they're siding with this attack on the First Amendment, which I thought was so Trumpian. Yeah, and then, well, that's what, you know, we were traveling, well, 
my my father and I, when we were traveling around the US, we're talking to people saying, this isn't about, this is about 2010. You know, this is about Chelsea Manning's revelations. Um, you know, the publishing of the Afghan war logs, the publishing of the Iraq war logs, uh, torture in Guantanamo Bay. You know, this is about actual war crimes, torture and corruption uh, that were re revealed by Chelsea Manning. That's what Julian has been prosecuted, uh, you know, for publishing the Espionage uh, Act charges. So, you know, it's, it's about, you know, we're just traveling the country explaining that to people because a lot of people are just, just don't know. They think, um, they think, oh, yeah, well, he's been prosecuted for, uh, you know, these 2016 email leaks, but it, it, that's not the case. It's, it's actually WikiLeaks's best work, uh, you know, work that sort of led to the end of the Iraq war, work that's led to, you know, the, the start of the Arab Spring, people, you know, people being liberated, people's lives saved all over the world. So, yeah, I, I get the people who are confused about that to you know, maybe we're casual news um, readers who, you know, ingested a ton of Trump news in 2016, 2017. What I don't get are the people who were open advocates for Julian back in 2011, 2012, you know, who did public service announcements for him or, you know, editorials or worked with him at, at newspapers. And they know that it's the same issue where like where are those people that, that that's what i'm confused about i see daniel ellsberg is the only one of the only people who's kind of been consistent about this um like where are the where are the rest of those people that that's what's confusing to me no it's so pervasive i mean you know we i was speaking to people and they just you know they get buzzsawed you know in their group in their little liberal group you know if they bring up this thing that's they just get you know hammered down and so there's this, you know, everyone's afraid to come up. And that's why it was so great to see, um, you know, what was going on in, with, with John Cusack when he brought this up, you know, because the tide is changing now. People are understanding what's going on. Two or three years ago, or if, if John had done a, done a tweet like that, uh, you know, it would have got heaps of likes, you know, but this time when he tweeted it, he got hardly any likes and a bunch of comments. Everyone's saying, what are you talking about? This is wrong. This is wrong. So it's really encouraging to see like the, the narrative or, or people are actually realizing, you know, what this case is, is about. And they're starting to ignore this sort of this. It does. It really does the security state a favor, a favor this this narrative that, um, you know, Julian helped Trump. And, and that's what it's been used for. So people can see through that now, I think, more and more. Do you, do you run into the problem of like um, Americans, especially not even knowing what the Espionage Act is? Like, I, I, like that's that seems to be another aspect. I, I, I run it. I notice like even journalists don't really understand what the charges or what the consequences of it are. Could you talk a little bit about what the act is and what what it would mean if you were con convicted? Uh, on any of those. It's a 1917. It's a 1917 act. Um, I think it was brought brought in to um, quell, uh, you know, uh, resistance to World War One. And then, uh, you know, Daniel Ellsberg, uh, he had the, you know, very famous case, you know, in 50 years ago now, uh, where where it was the Espionage Act was turned against um, somebody, you know, who revealed, uh, you know, what Daniel Ellsberg revealed the Pentagon Papers. So then uh, it, it was, it's been turned against, you know, people who leak classified or, or top secret or whatever information from the government, anything the government doesn't, 
or anything that you know the government doesn't want to be leaked, basically. And then it's become used more and more under Obama, under Trump, more and more against leakers. So people who uh, take the information and and give it to uh, publishers or journalists. But this, in Julian's case, uh, it is the first time it's ever been used against somebody. Two, two of the espionage ch charges are actually for physically publishing, that they're for physically publishing the material. So this is the first time it's ever been used. It's ever been used like that, and it's sort of, it's so vague in its wording um, that you can you can sort of you know they've they've found like a way to sort of game it to sort of turn around and and use it against a publisher. Um, so that's you know that's the sort of brief history. I'm sure Kevin knows a lot more about the espionage well, act than me. <laughs> and then one widespread fear. I mean, the other thing I'd add in about the history is that this goes back to being used against anybody who was opposed to U.S. involvement in World War One. Uh, it targeted Eugene Debs, socialist Eugene Debs, very, very early on. So it's actually fits with the law that now today we're seeing some of the most outspoken dissenters against U.S. wars and against the national security state being targeted by the Justice Department in this manner. But you know, I think a widespread concern that we need to be focused on here that a lot of press freedom organizations actually do recognize, although they may not articulate it very clearly, is that you could see a kind of arms race started because of what the United States is doing by pursuing Julian Assange, who is not a US citizen. All right, so it's very important to make clear here that Julian Assange never signed a non-disclosure agreement. The way that the US Justice Department has been prosecuting leakers is to say that you have signed a, a non-disclosure agreement, you have signed a secrecy oath essentially, and so you have an obligation to keep those secrets from being disclosed. And then if you disclose them, you have committed the crime, so they prosecute it like it's a strict liability offense. Your intent doesn't matter. Your knowledge doesn't even really matter that much anymore. Just the mere fact that we can prove a leak happened makes you someone we can convict at trial. That's what they're doing. That's what they did in cases like Reality Winner's case. It's what they're trying to do in the case of drone whistleblower Daniel Hale. Isn't one of the problems with, with the way this law is constructed? I mean, if you when you read the indictment, it talks about sort of acquiring or attempting to acquire or receiving national defense information. Like the way I read it, basically anybody who does any kind of reporting on national security issues would at some point violate this law just almost almost uh, automatically uh, you'll you'll at some point you know re receive or maybe even inadvertently at times uh, information that they would consider national defense information or is, or that's classified so it's almost impossible not to be guilty of the law you know as constructed i mean that's what i worry about with with this prosecution is if, if they convict him, it, it, it basically makes it you know, functionally impossible to do the job with it and be safe, doesn't it? Uh, or do I Yeah, so to quickly respond to, to you, they're already prosecuting Julian like he's an aider and a better and co-conspirator of a leak. This was language we saw from the Obama administration against Fox News reporter James Rosen, who was the person who public, publicized, sorry, published the leak from Stephen Kim, who was a State Department employee, who was a, that was an espionage act case under Obama. And so essentially, yes, what we're doing with the Julian Assange case or what the US Justice Department is doing is creating an archetype or, or a way, a model that they could deploy against any journalist 
that crosses a line that the U.S. government sets, that they arbitrarily set. So you can have acceptable national security journalism, acceptable military journalism, then you can have unacceptable military journalism and unacceptable national security journalism. And I would tell you that you never know when that is going to change, that the politics are going to change and reporters are going to be in trouble. And there is a scenario where you could imagine, you know, the nightmare scenario of people who tune into MSNBC every day. If we had a president, Mike Pompeo, who is the one who led the charge at the CIA against WikiLeaks, if he was elected and he decides that, oh, I don't like David Sanger at the New York Times and what you published as far as leaked material, you know, he could bring a case against him just on the fact that, you know, I'm a Republican, you're a liberal, I want to nail you, I've got this framework for pursuing this Espionage Act prosecution, it could absolutely be done. So these people who think they're comfy, cozy, and they're not like Julian Assange, and they're never going to suffer, well, that all depends that politics don't change and become more authoritarian and fascist in the United States. And you just can't make that that guarantee, especially after the Trump election in 2016. And to hear the rest of our interview with Gabriel and Kevin, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. Well, that was um, moving and uh, frustrating, frustrating, infuriating. I can't believe it, Matt. What are we going to do? How do we get people to pay attention to this case? I think people around the world are paying attention to it, but the it's just it's really hard to get. American journalists who did the story. I mean, they Caitlin Johnstone wrote an article about this yeah. recently where she she talked about how it's this new phenomenon where two or three years ago, when there was a story that was like inconvenient from a narrative perspective, they would spin it or bury it somewhere, you know, it would go on page 16 under the fold or something like that. And now they just don't do it. So right. They don't even pretend to have to do it. Yeah. And and there are whole sort of ranges of stories that, you know, don't appear. And so, some of it is some of it is a editorial decision, you know, like this, where they're consciously deciding not to cover the story. And some of it is censorship and some of it is a mixture of the two. It's gotten kind of creepy because I think people don't, you know, when they pick up the news now, they don't they don't know whether they're seeing a complete representation of reality. But this this one is really bad because, you know, there's there's zero excuse to not not cover, at least superficially, you know, yeah. this thing. How, yeah, how is it not newsworthy uh, that, how is it not newsworthy that the lead witness, the star witness in the case against Assange, who happens to be a convicted sex offender, diagnosed sociopath, which is an interesting star witness in any case, but um, how is it not newsworthy that he admitted to lying? I mean, the whole case is, is preposterous, right? If they, if they were to look at this thing and, and the totality of it from, you know, the stealing of the diapers to the Manafort thing to all of it, I mean, it, it's such a clown show from beginning to end at this point. And, yeah. you know, they, they just haven't, they haven't gone anywhere near it. They're, you know, when they when they first handed down the indictment, there were there was like a flurry of sort of legit corporate journalists who said, you know, this is this is like bad a little bit, a handful, and then they just dropped it. Yeah, we should really be calling them out. Rachel Maddow, 
she said she mentioned something chris hayes like back in the i think with the indictment right but why are they not covering it now because they can't because doing because of what what gabriel talks about i mean it's the it's this whole idea it's the same thing and it's the john cusack thing it's this idea that he helped trump therefore right. he doesn't he doesn't get space in the news but it's you like know. they already i guess what what's weird i mean you yeah you asked that question and, and that's what i think it is it's like people are either cynically or they're just legit irrational both of both things are bad and they need to be pro you know if it's irrational i hope they work through it i guess what i don't get is if you already brought it up once i mean was that just because they couldn't not comment on it because it's a historic moment like why not return to it to update it i think you want to be able to say yeah. In the future, when they start throwing your own your own colleagues in jail for the Espionage Act, you want right. to be able to say, oh, you know, I spoke out about this at the time. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe maybe that's what it is. But they don't want to actually affect affect the outcome yeah. of this. Uh, I it's mean, Biden really, should be asked about it, but of course he won't be. No, you can't even. I mean, this 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 story is a complete non-starter with you know basically the whole press corps. I mean, well, I, it's it's incredibly frustrating, but I, I think it has to be mentioned again, the only place in like big mainstream media that this disappeared was when Glenn and Tucker did a segment on yeah, this. Right. You know, OK, guys, that's that means that it, uh, that doesn't mean that it's a right wing toxic issue. That means that the uh, liberal media is an abomination. That's that's what that means. It doesn't make it right because people then they love pointing to that as if that's proof that something is not a worthy story. It's like, no, this is a freedom of press issue. Um, yeah, I just wrote if, about this, too, and I'm, I'm terrified of, of publishing it. But yeah. Oh, really? What do you write about the Assange thing? No, like so the Tucker NSA thing like, oh, yeah, right. You know, again it's a ick factor situation yeah, where right, yeah. but but what's what's we've what we've seen in the last five years is so the cbs msnbc new york times washington post they they cover a steadily smaller and smaller amount of stuff and their areas of interest and, and the, the the types of issues and people that they're willing to to embrace gets narrower and narrower and they're just kicking all these issues into other media right, right. and then and yeah. then what happens is when when somebody like carlson picks it up then it becomes infamous it's a propaganda trick it's just really frustrating but with the assange thing it's especially frustrating because you know they, they everybody was head over heels about him in 2011 2012 over this exact activity Right, when he was exposing Bush crimes, right? Yeah, which is what this case is about. You know, now they're nowhere right. to be seen. Yeah. You know, and so. again, that is what this case is about. Like, it's not about 2016. So regardless of your thoughts on that, that's not what it's about. But people don't care about that. They really don't. They kind of revel in their, you know, they revel in, it's ironic because they revel in being these rule of law, rational thinkers, right? They're not these emotional thugs like, like Trump, except they're being that way on this issue yeah they, they they can't separate out the person from the right. from the larger thing which is it, it's just so frustrating it's because it, it, it it's funny this this used to be a characteristic of what liberal, liberal. politics is up yeah. yeah like right. we, you know that was that was the classic thing that kind of distinguished yeah. you know your aclu 
liberal yeah. once upon a time was that, oh, it doesn't matter who the person is. Let's look at what the issue right. is. I may not agree with you, right? But I'll fight for that's right. my right to say it. But what is the Manafort thing? Sorry, I don't know what that referred to. Oh, the, the Luke Harding story that Paul Manafort went to the embassy to meet with Assange. Assange. Oh, it's just not true. That totally. Made that up. Yeah, they made, they made it up, and you know, of course, the embassy is under nonstop surveillance, right, not right. just by the Ecuadorians, but by everybody who's watching right. that embassy. And um, Harding had no on-the-record sources, and uh, and that was the only paper in the world to the Guardian was the only paper in the world that covered it. Then they had a um, Harding also was asked by Aaron Mate if he had any evidence of collusion, which was the title of his book, which prompted Harding to. Hang Walk up. off. Yeah, to hang so, up. That was like awesome. Lose connection. So again, you can't even defend the title. Just you shouldn't have called it that. And then there was a, I think it was in Politico, a CIA officer uh, under a pseudonym. I think the pseudonym was Alex Shipley, wrote a piece saying that if Harding's story was wrong, it was Russian misinformation. Oh, that he was that, dead. Yeah, yeah. Poor guy. And they actually they actually printed that shit. Um, Poor so. guy. Yeah, but it was a huge story for like two days. They had this idea that because that that was the that was the smoking gun. You know, Assange met with Manafort in the embassy, and they planned the whole Russia Gate thing together. It turned right. out to be hogwash. So yeah, and what is the big argument for how he enabled Trump? It's that he re- he didn't not release things about Hillary. He released things about Hillary Clinton during 2016. Right, and the 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 theory is that. You know, according to the like the DNC lawsuit about this, the theory was that that Assange, WikiLeaks, the Trump campaign and the Russians were essentially all colluding together. There was coordination as to the timing of all this and that the Trump campaign had foreknowledge and was therefore sort of implicated and also in the in the theft of the the sort of hacked materials. The judge threw that out, incidentally. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. So well, that was the civil case. And, and yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't matter, right? If you care about free press, it doesn't matter. You're still, it's still journalism. Yeah, those were totally legit stories. And also, as you pointed out, they never interviewed him, right? No, no, they, they, Mueller the never did. Yeah, yeah. The FBI. And they never, they were clearly not really interested in the provenance of, they, they either know it already or they and they know it's the wrong answer or they they don't really care to investigate. So they never interviewed Assange about that. And but, but again, it doesn't matter. Like, I know I just keep I keep going back to this, just like trying to reason with unreasonable people who have Trump derangement syndrome. Like, of course, it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, if, again, if you t- if you take Assange at his word, then his source wasn't a right. state actor it wasn't the russians yeah which you know may or may not be true we, we'll never know exactly for sure but it doesn't really matter um you know the the material that he, that he leaked was you know legitimate uh yeah. legitimate news story there there was stuff in there that i think was in the public interest the judge yeah. ruled that it was in the public interest you know there wasn't any evidence that all of these actors had plan this out really ahead of time you know the, the it was opportunistic uh, and in also, the end yeah and even if he what they're saying like oh he he published some stuff so it competed with the um 
with the grab and buy the p word thing right um so like that doesn't that's that's not unprotected yeah no there's 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 not like what is it like a schoolyard rule that they can't do it i mean yeah i mean if we want i mean especially since all the places that like well there are two issues one is that obviously as we said before it's it's what like the new york times problem right like they publish these things um often so they're in the same boat as he is which is why they had to focus so much on the alleged hacking but um it's also like these places you know so much media was in the tank for hillary and 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 i yuck i was not in the tank for trump obviously you can't pretend that their that their coverage of news was i'm and i'm not even saying that that was assange's motive but i'm just saying if that if that turned out to be his motive which there's really no evidence of at all yeah i, didn't, I probably shouldn't even go there because i shouldn't give any credence to that but it's just like come on like like as if those things don't determine what when other people publish stuff i mean that people have a lot of strong feelings strong feelings about assange what i always go back to is that none of that stuff matters none, right, none of the two not, yeah. none, none of the 2016 stuff matters because that's not what this case is about right you know I, I think there was a concerted campaign to try to to make assange and basically everything that he represented which was a kind of threat to secrecy and and all that stuff you know in, infamous in the eyes of liberals in particular right you know i, I they they so this whole sort of russiagate story was was really kind of a useful propaganda device for kind of changing the the, the public's minds about things like secrecy and you know the surveillance intelligence community, intelligence yeah. community all of that you know be, um so yeah it's a, it's an important case and it's just really frustrating that that uh, we can't get more attention yeah. paid to it so anyway, it, some protests that gets on camera yeah Th thanks for thanks for uh hanging in with us we'll see you again next week yeah make sure you subscribe uh usefulidiots.substack.com you'll get really great content for this week if you aren't already a subscriber if you're a new subscriber i mean just from last week alone it's great uh, we spoke to Adolf Reed. He says some really, he dropped some really hot, hot uh, takes about Robin D'Angelo and Confederate soldiers and the Confederacy, I should say. Also, Matt and I finally comment on the intra-left beef, uh, which we know people want us to comment on. Rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on YouTube so you don't miss any of the clips or videos we're doing. Hashtag Useful Idiots Pod. And then on Twitter, we are at Useful Idiot Pod. Join us on Sunday live at youtube.com slash useful idiots we will be doing the crossword puzzle the useful idiots crossword puzzle so play along with us and you can find the crossword puzzle on the Substack. free that's all free all right see you next week see you next week The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.